Hi, I'm Associate Pastor Ryan French, and we're so glad you're listening to the Apostolic Tabernacle Church podcast. We hope this teaching and preaching resource is a blessing. We'd love to pray for you. If you'd like to submit a prayer request, you can do so by visiting our website, www.aptabupc.com. Just click the prayer request tab in the menu. You can also support this ministry with an offering at the website as well, or by texting the word GIVE to 678-846-6522. Again, that's 678-846-6522. If you live in the Atlanta area, we'd be honored to see you in one of our services. We'll invite you right into our church family and make you feel right at home. I'd like to direct your attention to 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 11, I'm sorry, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 11, and we're going to read quite a few scriptures. Because we're live, I think that our, uh, because we're live stream only, I think our attention spans can handle a little lengthier portion of scripture. And so I'm going to read down through verse 22. Now you'll notice in verse 14, it's an incredibly familiar scripture. And we don't usually read the entire passage around 2 Chronicles 7 and 14, but I'd like us to look at it in context so that we can understand it better and apply it to our lives. 2 Chronicles 7, 11, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that came into Solomon's heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house he prosperously effected. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be opened, and mine ears attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now have I chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever, and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. And as for thee, if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked, and do according to all that I have commanded thee, and shalt observe my statutes and my judgments. Then will I establish the throne of thy kingdom, according as I have covenanted with David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man to be ruler in Israel. But if ye turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and shall go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I pluck them up by the roots out of my land, which I have given them, And this house, which I have sanctified for my name, will I cast out of my sight and will make it to be a proverb and a byword among all the nations. And this house, which is high, shall be an astonishment to everyone that passeth by it, so that he shall say, Why hath the Lord done thus unto this land and unto this house? And it shall be answered, Because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, and laid hold on other gods, and worshipped them, and served them therefore, hath he brought all this evil 
upon them. And so I'd like to talk for a few moments today about how desperate dilemmas in faith lead to the miraculous in the context of humility. This is a a passage of scripture that we usually turn to for great comfort. Verse 14, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. What an amazing promise. Now, this promise is not without conditions because First of all, you have to be one of God's people to be able to lay claim to this promise of God. Secondly, you have to be a repentant people who are are abstaining from sin and turning from wickedness because God is very clear that even though he sanctified the temple and even though he sanctified the people of Israel, It was not a guarantee that if they forsook him, that he would always bless them. The guarantee was only that if they would humble themselves, turn back to God in times of pestilence, and we're certainly living in times of worldwide pestilence, in times of calamity, and we're certainly living in times of worldwide calamity. The solution and the And the response that God is always looking for is people who will humble themselves, examine their hearts and say, where have I abandoned God? Where have I embraced another God? Where have I fallen short? And this can only be done with great humility. This is why the scripture is very clear. If my people who are of my namesake humble themselves, pray, seek after me, repent and turn from wickedness. Then and only then will God hear from heaven and forgive us our sins, but not only forgive our sins, but heal our land. Humility is is one of those challenging things to teach about, write about, or speak about because anything said sounds exceedingly uh, not humble. Arrogance is an interesting component of the human experience. For example, there's a mythological, nearly universally held belief that arrogance is exclusive to the rich, the powerful, the famous, the intelligent, and the beautiful. But this isn't so. Pride isn't a respecter of persons, and it will will happily trap the poor, the weak, the silly, the obscure, the ugly, and the witless. Most alarmingly, pride initially creeps into a heart like undetected cancer, attacking the healthy cells and gradually gaining greater and greater control. Like cancer, many suffer from pride long before they realize it's even in their system. The longer pride has been allowed to fester without confrontation, the more intensive the treatment process becomes. The certainty of a complete recovery becomes less and less assured as pride silently attacks more vital areas of the soul. Early detection, like cancer, can mean the difference between spiritual destruction and spiritual deliverance. Without without spending too much time dwelling on 2020 and, and all of the 
things that ensued last year and continue to ensue right now. If nothing else, the events in our world and in our nation have brought us to a place where we can no longer bear the burden of pride. It's my prayer and my hope that we will allow humility to flood our hearts. We know that it's easy in a time like this to feel weak and powerless. The desperation that fills our hearts leaves no room for pride right now. It's almost as if God did everything within his power to rid us of the cancer of pride. It's almost as if God is surgically removing every cancerous tumor of pride from our souls without warning or anesthesia. At first, for me, I, I treated God in the beginning of the pandemic like I treated my heart doctor as a child while I was being prepped for my fourth open heart surgery. I remember the pain of preparation, the shots and the IVs and all of the poking and the prodding. And I looked at my doctor and I said, why, why are you hurting me? With, with all of the certainty a six-year-old could muster, I'd shout indignantly towards the heavens and say, why am I hurting right now? I did almost the same thing in the middle of, of this COVID pandemic. But God responded to me just like that doctor and said, I'm trying to save your life and the life of a nation, but the process is painful. There are two spiritual results of humility that we typically overlook. One, genuine humility produces desperation that encourages complete dependence upon God. Two, desperation and absolute dependence upon God set the stage for an almost nonsensical level of faith that activates the miraculous. Oddly, humility and desperation are much closer cousins than we typically realize. And humility and desperation are the foundation of almost every major miracle described in the Bible. Recently, a, a friend of mine brought to my attention the, the perplexing faith enigma in the ministry of Elijah. And, and the mystery is this. Why would Elijah have the faith to confront the prophets of Baal and call down fire from heaven only to flee from Jezebel and sink into suicidal despair just a few moments later? What changed? Why the drastic difference from one moment to the next? We tend to think of Elijah's showdown on the mountain as an act of confident superhuman faith. But I think the text and context support the thesis that Elijah was acting out of absolute dependence that gave him no choice but to completely put his faith in God. In other words, Elijah reached a place of such deep desperation that he realized either God was going to send down fire from heaven or Elijah was going to die in the famine anyway. It's not paradoxical to say that faith and despair are tightly connected in the realm of the miraculous. God doesn't respect desperation without faith, but faith without desperation is rarely genuine faith. I know that it takes a minute to get your head around this concept, but scripture overwhelmingly supports this concept. Psychologically speaking, 
The connection between desperation and the miraculous makes a great deal of sense. We do things we would never otherwise do when we're dangling from the end of our rope, looking down at the jagged rocks below. When we have nothing left to lose and everything to gain, we become willing to do what God has been telling us to do all along. Tepid levels of faith resist the voice of God when it thinks it still has other valid, less crazy options. It's our human tendency. It's our human nature. When God tells us to go dip in a muddy Jordan River seven times and we think, but Lord, isn't there something else I could try before that? That just sounds crazy. But when we've tried everything else and all we have left is the voice of God, suddenly we're willing to do things that we wouldn't have done before. Scripture emphasizes how the woman with the issue of blood spent everything she had, and she tried all the reasonable avenues before desperately touching the hem of Jesus' garment. Peter had nothing to lose when he stepped out on the water. If Jesus didn't intervene, he was likely going to die in that storm anyway. So he stepped out onto the sea with desperation-induced faith. When Moses stretched out that rod towards the Red Sea, he had no other choice but to trust God or die. Pharaoh was coming. They were trapped between a mighty army and a raging Red Sea. Moses had no choice but to have faith. Every leper that Jesus healed was already an outcast and freak in society. So they had nothing to lose by running to Jesus. They didn't care what people thought. They didn't care if people talked about them. They didn't care if people looked down on them. They were so desperate that if they could just get Jesus to speak to them or touch them, they could be healed. What did blind Bartimaeus have to lose by ignoring the critics and screaming at the top of his lungs for Jesus to stop and have mercy on his situation? Bartimaeus had everything to gain and nothing to lose. Three and a half years of drought, no revival or repentance. Elijah was lonely, righteously indignant, and bone tired. Those were the perfect ingredients for a freakish act of faith like publicly calling down fire from the sky. Sometimes it takes a certain level of indifference towards the miracle, an attitude of almost spiritual recklessness that says, Lord, I'm trusting you with the impossible, and if I end up looking foolish, who cares? How many times previously to this pandemic, when things were relatively normal and moving pretty smoothly, Did we fail to pray big, bold prayers of faith because it seemed too crazy to even ask for it? How many times did we think if I pray a prayer of faith and and if it doesn't happen, I'll look silly and so we failed to pray. But now God has stripped us of pride and replaced it with desperation. And that desperation combined with our faith is the most valuable resource we have in the economy of God. Think of the the humility it took for three Hebrew boys to say, God can save us from the fiery furnace, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow to the king's idol. Almost every major act of faith comes down to the willingness to do something utterly crazy, believing that God can do anything, but inwardly determining that even if God doesn't do it, you will stand and do the right thing no matter what. It's nearly impossible to have that mindset until every drop of pride has been drained from your soul. 
freakish faith and desperate dilemmas are almost inseparable. You'll likely never tell a mountain to move out of the way in Jesus' name unless you are desperate beyond words to get to the other side. You won't pick up your bed and walk until you stop caring what people think about you. You won't let Jesus rub mud and spit into your blind eyes until your pride is dead. Prideful prayers don't move God. Prideful praise offends God. But humble, desperate, freakish faith calls down fire from heaven and closes the mouths of lions. And just when everyone thinks your faith is absurd and silly and it's finally gotten you killed, you'll answer from the pit like Daniel. O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouths, that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him, innocency was found in me. And also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. Let's believe in our God now as never before. And let's allow this moment of desperation to take us to faith that seems crazy, but a faith that shuts the mouths of lions and cast the mountains into the seas. Let me pray for you right now. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every family, every individual under the sound of my voice. I pray that you'd bless their homes, their finances, their children, their grandchildren, their parents, their grandparents. I pray that you'd bless their future and give them faith. Yes, Lord, I pray that you would give them faith that seems silly and absurd. Faith, God, that makes a difference. I pray that we would humble ourselves and pray as your people. I pray that as a nation, we would turn from our wickedness. And Lord, if the nation won't do it, I pray that the church will stand in the gap. We love you and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.